Jesus Christ. So those songs fit so perfectly uh, when we think about our hope in Jesus Christ, our future hope in him when we see him face to face one day, but the hope we have in Jesus Christ even today. And we'll get into that in our sermon in just a little bit, but we're back in Ephesians chapter 1 today. Ephesians chapter 1, and, and over the last couple of weeks we introduced uh, into Ephesians, we talked about the will of God, and last week we talked about the work of Jesus. We're going to get back to Jesus again today a little bit, but in between now where we left off last week and getting back to Jesus in a few minutes, we want to talk about the the work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, and uh, and just uh, this 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 passage in Ephesians has some wonderful wonderful information for us as, as we get into this first chapter, and uh, so let's just uh, let's just back up just a few verses uh, to. Uh, verse uh, 8, it says, Wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, <clears throat> and that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ. So we, it constantly comes back to Jesus Christ. And that's, that's why we're going to focus on that a little bit more in a few minutes. Everything focuses back to Jesus Christ. But he says, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now before we, we talk about that, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because that's what it talks about there, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let me just read you a couple verses there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and starting in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which ye are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, this is the gospel. The gospel is simply the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. That's the gospel. And so when we're in Ephesians then, and in Ephesians it says, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's what we're talking about here. The word of truth is the, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the word of truth. And he says, and when you receive that, the gospel of your salvation, <coughs> in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So as we jump into this passage today, we've talked about the will of the Father. We've talked about the work of Jesus Christ. Now let's take a few moments and talk about the work of the Spirit. Because it says in this passage that we are sealed by the Spirit. That's what it says. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now the word sealed there is a word that attests to ownership. It's a, it attests to ownership. It is the ancient word for a legal signature, a guarantee on the promise of which was sealed. And it was often, as we know back in ancient times, 
uh, things that were sealed were sealed either with a signet ring that was then melted in wax and waxed on to the document to seal it or with some kind of stamp. And that was a seal. It was a guarantee of what was inside the document, of the ownership that was there. And it was, it was a legal term. And, uh, and so we have to understand, God doesn't make mistakes, folks. When he wrote his word, he wanted to use language that we could understand. We are sealed, legally bound by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what we are when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that's the promise that we receive. Turn over, if you would, just for a moment to Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 6, and starting in verse 17, notice what it says. It says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. We ought to be saying amen and amen there, right? We have an anchor, an anchor for our soul that's sure and steadfast, gotten for us by whom? The one that went into the veil, Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Whither the foreigners for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Listen, folks, God says in his word, and his word is truth, God says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit upon our salvation. So what does that mean to me, folks? That means that I, that I am taken care of. I can't undo it. I'm not the one doing the sealing. If I was the one doing the seal, if I say, hey, I trust in God and, and, and I promise that I really do, then that seal could be broken because I could be lying. But I'm not the one who affixes the seal. The scriptures are very clear. We are sealed through the Holy Spirit of God. And, and so we have to understand that. And that's so important because these, these are legal terminology that was used back in that days, back in those days. We are heirs of the promise. That first Peter, first uh, Peter chapter one and verse three said, "Blessed be the God of our Father of our and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." And so we, we, one, we, once we accept the gospel, trust the gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have this seal. Philip says this. He says, when we hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit reveals God's terms of salvation to us, convicts us of our sins, and urges us to accept Christ, the one in whom God's offer of salvation centers. See, folks, it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about some other path. It's about Jesus Christ and us accepting the terms of salvation. What are the terms of our salvation? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the terms of salvation. Nobody gets to heaven 
except through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's how we get there. And that's what what Paul is emphasizing here in this passage, that it's a work that's done through the Spirit. When we accept it, it's it's like assigning a contract that is immediately then sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. It'd be like if myself and the Holy Spirit were sitting at a table and we have a contract there on the table and I sign the contract and I fold it up, put it in an envelope and the Holy Spirit stamps his stamp on it. It's now sealed. The contract is sealed. And that's the picture we get here in this passage of what takes place. Since God does all the doing, no failure on our part can invalidate the contract. See, that's the difference between an earthly contract and a, and a heavenly contract. In an earthly contract, both people are contracting together to do something, accomplish something, and, and somebody can make a mistake and pull out of the contract. But when it comes to our salvation, we're not the one doing the doing. It's God that has provided the way. God has one that's provided the blood of Jesus Christ for the salvation of our sins. He's the one that has the contract and has sealed it with his spirit. Now, continue on then, because the the, the wording in this passage is so beautiful, folks, when you think about it. So you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest. Okay, now let's stop there for just a second. We don't use the word earnest a lot in our society. Matter of fact, I can only think of one time when we use the word earnest. And you know when that is? It's when you go to buy a house, right? You put down earnest money. I walk into a house, I like it, I want to buy it, I want to make sure the, buy, the seller knows I want to buy it, and so I put down some earnest money. What is that earnest money? That earnest money is my promise that I'm eventually going to pay the rest of the money and buy your house. That's the earnest money. That's the only time I ever hear us you really use the word earnest in society today. But that's what earnest is. It's a, it's a promise. And notice what it says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Folks, these are, this is such a beautiful verse. He's saying the Holy Spirit has put down the earnest for something that's going to happen in the future when the redemption is going to be complete, and that's when I spend eternity in glory with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God says, listen, it's the Holy Spirit that puts down the earnest money. He's the one that's putting, he's the one that's saying, there is more to come. It's going to get paid off. The redemption is going to be completed at some point. Now, folks, I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior today. I know I'm going to heaven because I have that hope in Jesus Christ. But that event doesn't take place till either I die first or Jesus Christ returns. But the Holy Spirit is putting down the earnest so that there's a guarantee of completed payment one day. What a beautiful, beautiful thought for us today, folks. The Holy Spirit, the earnest of our inheritance an inheritance, folks. We have something to inherit, and that is eternal life. We they sang about it this morning when we see Jesus face to face. That's our inheritance, folks. We are heirs of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, when you think about it, 
God loved me so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so that he could make Ken Biggs an heir. That's what took place. And you can plop your name right in there. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on the cross so you can become an heir of his. And someday you're going to get that inheritance and the Holy Spirit has put down the earnest to make sure you finish the job and get to that point. That's the whole idea here. And that's what Paul is talking about. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are purchased by his blood, the Holy Spirit serving as our earnest until the salvation is completed when we spend eternity with Jesus in glory. So you think about the work of the Spirit here, folks. The Spirit is our seal, the guarantee, and he's our earnest that says this, this, this contract is going to be completed one day. The purchase is going to be completed. Now, we know that's in the future. What a wonderful thought of the work of the Holy Spirit as we think about it today. Beautiful, beautiful verses. And that takes us to verse 15. Point number one was the work of the Spirit. Point number two is Paul's prayer and declaration. Paul's prayer and declaration. <laughs> Paul has introduced this book to us. And been amazing verses already. I mean, he's introduced the will of the Father, the work of Jesus Christ, the work of the Spirit. Now, now we get to verse 15, and, and, and you would kind of think this would have came first because it's kind of a prayer that kind of, kind of oversees the book. But notice what he says. He says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now, folks, that is an important, important verse, verse 15. Because I want you to notice that the people that Paul are, is writing to, there was a reputation that had preceded them. There was something that Paul had heard about, taken notice of, and now he's going to comment on it. And what was the reputation that preceded them? It was that they trusted in Jesus Christ, and they loved the saints. That was their reputation. You ever, you ever sit for a moment, folks, and think, when, when somebody hears my name, what do they think of? When somebody hears Ken Biggs, what do they, what do they think of? They think, that guy's a jerk. I mean, maybe they do. I don't know. Or do they think, you know, that, that guy loves the Lord? I don't know. What do people, do you ever think about that? What, what reputation precedes you? Because Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, he's saying to the people I'm writing to, you have a reputation, and it's a good one. Your reputation is that you trust in Jesus Christ and you love the saints. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I would love for that to be my reputation, that I trust in Jesus Christ and I love the saints. What a wonderful thought. Folks, we got to think about how is our life viewed? How do, when people look at us, what do they think of? We've got, to, we've got to understand that. And we've got to understand that Paul is here uh, dealing with, not notice what he's dealing with, two things, their interaction with God and their interaction with others. That's what he's dealing with here. He says, I've heard that you, you trust God. You have a good interaction with God, and you love others. You have a good interaction with other people. 
And see, folks, we need to be the same in our life. We need to understand that faith in God and love for others are things that, that are to be desired, things that we should, we should strive for in our life. And, and notice what Paul, Paul does here. He says, I've heard this. And then he says what? He says, I cease not to give thanks for it. He says, I'm thankful that this is your reputation, that you love God, trust God, and love others. He said, I'm thankful for it. I'm and then he says this. He's, he, says, he says this. He says, I, I, I don't, I, he says, cease not to give thanks for you and cease not to make mention of you in my prayers. What does that tell us, folks? We need to pray for each other. That's what it tells us. We need to pray. Paul, Paul was a busy guy. I'm, I'm, I don't think any of us would want to put our schedule up against Paul's for the day. I mean, back in the day where there was no transportation, and man, Paul was everywhere. He traveled all over the place, by foot, maybe by horse sometimes. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he, was, he, he did not have the accessible transportation we have today, and he was all over the known world at that time. And he was always busy. Of course, spent a lot of time in prison as well for the cause of Jesus Christ, which, of course, remember, that's where this book is being written from. He's writing from prison, and he says, listen, I'm thankful for your testimony, and I pray for you every day. I'm going to pray for you. What a thought. And folks, we need to lift each other up in prayer. We really do. It needs to become part of who we are. And he says, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And then he goes on to tell us what the prayer is. And this is where it gets so good, folks. He, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He says, I am, he says, I've heard your testimony. You, you, you trust God. You love others. I, I, I'm proud of that fact. I'm going to pray for you. And what am I praying for you? I'm praying that you will get to know God better. That's what his prayer is. You notice what his prayer is not? I'm praying that God gets me out of this prison real soon. Because that would probably be a lot of our prayers, wouldn't it? We'd be looking at ourselves going, I, I don't like being in prison. So I'm praying daily, but I'm praying God will let me out of this, out of this cell. That's not what he prayed. He, he prayed, folks. He prayed, I want you to know God better. <laughs> That's what he prayed for. To have a better knowledge of God. Spurgeon says this. He says, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. That's a great quote, folks. Spurgeon say, listen, the greatest thing you could attend to for knowledge is a knowledge of God the Father. That's what, and that's what Paul was praying for here. And, and listen, folks, we, we know God, as he reveals himself to us, God reveals himself through his written word, the Bible, and he's revealed himself to mankind through the living word, Jesus Christ, when he spent time here on this earth. We learn from both. We learn from both examples. But that's what Paul's, Paul's hope and prayer is. He says, I'm praying that you will know God better. Notice what he says then. He says that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, 
and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Okay, so now Paul has said, I'm praying for you that you would have a greater knowledge of God. And then he says, now I'm going to break it down. Here's where I want that to come. Three places. He says, I want you to understand the hope of the calling. What is our hope? We're going to talk about that, our hope in Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And he says, I want you to understand the greatness of his power. Paul, Paul says, I'm praying that you would know God better. And here's what I want you to know. He says, I want you to know about your hope in Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, our hope is found in Christ. That's where it's found. And, and, and we, we have to understand, that's not just our future hope. Now, I understand. I get it in the future. You know, one day, because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, when I die or Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ returns, I'm going to have a glorified God and body. I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven someday. That, that's my future hope. But, folks, Jesus Christ is my hope today. Jesus Christ is where I need to turn to today. Jesus Christ is our hope now and forever. I was listening um, to, to some music in my office this week, and there's a choir I listened to out of California, and they sang a song. I had never heard this song before, and uh, apparently it's been around for a while because I said something to my wife about it. She goes, oh, yeah, I know that song. It's like, okay, well, somehow I missed it along the way. But they, they sang a song today, uh, the other day, and this choir did, and I, and I watched it, and I heard it for the very first time. And, and I couldn't help but think of our church as I heard this song. Before the song was sang, a girl from the choir got up, and she shared her testimony. And it would rip your heart apart, her testimony, of what her family had been through over the years. I mean, it was, her family was destroyed, children taken out of the home, foster kids in, foster kids out of the home, people all around her dying, close relatives, everything. I mean, her life was a mess. And, and, and she had come through that, which is a blessing in and of itself. But she came through it, and, and as she came through it, she recognized the fact that she needed to rely on Jesus Christ, her hope. And the last statement she made in her testimony was this. She said, in every circumstance, no matter the trial or the pain, there will always be Jesus. Always be Jesus. And man, I listened to that testimony. It was probably six, seven minutes long. And I cried and I cried for that little girl. But you know what? She got it. She understood where her hope comes from. And, and, and here's the words of the song. And, and I thought of our church. Because as I look around today, I know what is going on in so many of our folks' lives. Health issues. Loved ones passing. Issues with children not living for the Lord. Issues with dealing with adult parents that are difficult. I mean, I, I, I talk to you all, and I, and I know that so many people in this church are facing difficult times. And here's the words of the song. It says, every time I tried to make it on my own, every time I tried to stand and start to fall, and all those lonely roads that I have traveled on, there was Jesus. 
When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now. There was Jesus. And the chorus is this, in the waiting, in the searching, in the healing and the hurting, like a blessing buried in broken pieces, every minute, every moment, where I've been and where I'm going, even when I didn't know it or couldn't see it, there was Jesus. Folks, I'm telling you, that, that song had a huge impact on me this week as I thought about our church, you all sitting here, the losses in the last few years of people we love, the struggles, people with job situations and struggles, people with children that aren't living the way they ought to be living, people struggling trying to take care of adult parents that, that sometimes don't even know who they are anymore. It struggles, folks. It hurts. It's hard. And we go through those things, but the promise that we have is no matter what the pain, no matter what the circumstance, no matter where we are, there's Jesus. Our hope, our hope is in him. And that's where we need to turn today, folks. Powerful, powerful song and a powerful, powerful passage here. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted us to know what that hope was. Why? Because I think Paul was intelligent enough sitting in prison to know that sometimes things in life hurt. To know that sometimes things in life don't go the way we want them to go. To know that sometimes things are painful. To know that sometimes things are frustrating. To know that sometimes things are agonizing. And I think Paul understood all that. Because if you read the testimony of his life, he experienced a lot of that. And what does he say? He says, I want you to know that our hope is in Jesus Christ. That's where you need to turn. That's where you need to look to. But not just that our hope was in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says. He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, in the saints. His redemptive work in our lives, folks, gives us value. I am valuable to God. Why? Because he shed Jesus' blood for me. So that makes me, that gives me value. You know, sometimes I think we, we get discouraged and, 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 and we, just, we just don't know sometimes. And, and we, we wonder, is my life worth anything? And I know people get to that point sometimes. And we have to understand, folks, we have value. I have value today. I was valuable enough that God shed Jesus' blood for me. That's how valuable I am today. And that's how valuable you are today. And so in the times when we get discouraged and frustrated and, we, and life's throwing us curveballs and we don't, we don't have it all together, we need to remember that my life has value. Value in Jesus Christ. And then he says this. He says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward? The exceeding greatness 
of his power. The working of his mighty power. The word power there is strength or power put forth with effect. That's the definition in, in the Greek of what that word means. It's power put forth that accomplishes something. It has effect. You know, you can put power forth sometimes, folks, and it doesn't do anything. I, I, a few, several months ago, I was working at one of my lawn mowing jobs, and I rolled my, my three-foot mower over on a hill. Thankfully, it only rolled over. I didn't roll with it, but I rolled it over on a hill. It was sitting upside down. And I sat there, and I exerted a lot of power. I couldn't roll it over. I couldn't get it back up. Now, eventually, I did. <laughs> but, but I was exerting lots of power trying to roll that mower over. And I'm a pretty big guy. I got a lot of weight pushing when I push a certain direction. And I could not get that mower to flip back over on its four wheels. No matter how hard I tugged, no matter how hard I pushed, no matter how much I leaned into it, I could not get it to... I was, I was exerting power, but nothing was happening. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul says that God exerts power that accomplishes something. His power is not wasted. I wasted a lot of power that day trying to flip that mower over. I exerted lots of energy. I mean, I hurt myself that day trying to, to roll that mower over. Uh, I, I had hernia surgery years ago, in a, a belly button hernia, and I pulled things in that. I hurt for weeks after that because I, I must have tore some of that mesh in there or something or pulled it or whatever and I mean it, my stomach hurt for a while after I exerted a lot of energy but it was very ineffectual for a long time but God when God exerts his power folks it has effect it has effect and that's what Paul wants us to understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power God has put forth his great and effectual power where? It's in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Every one of these verses takes us right back to Jesus Christ. That's the whole idea here. Paul is trying to show us, listen, it's all about Christ. It's all about him. What is God's power on our behalf? It's the saving power found in the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Folks, we sing it, but do we understand it? God's great power, effectual power that is working on our behalf is where? It's in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It's in that blood that has the power to redeem our souls. That's where God shows his power to us. Oh, we can see his power in so many other areas. I mean, you see his power in storms. You see his power in creation. We can see it, and we can see his power all around us anytime we want to take a moment to look for it. But God's power, which is the power Paul said toward us, what is his power toward me? It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the power it has to redeem me from my sin. That's the power of God toward us. And we're out of time today. So we will stop there and finish chapter 1 as we go into next week. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed as we come to the end of this passage. Listen, folks, getting into the book of Ephesians here, this, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. There is so much here that if we, could just, and if we could just get our minds wrapped around the power 
of Jesus Christ's blood shed for you and I on Calvary. And folks, we just have to understand, listen, God did this for us. And Paul's saying, Paul's saying to these folks, listen, I, you have a great testimony, but he said, I want you to understand what God has done for you. I want you to understand that you have hope in him. I want you to understand that your life has value in him. I want you to understand that he has worked his mighty power through the blood of Jesus Christ to redeem you in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to us today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to ask Elizabeth to play for a moment. The altar's open if you need to do business with God. Maybe you just need to kneel back on your, sit back on your pew and spend some time in prayer. I don't know how the Lord's spoken today, but we're going to wait for just a minute this morning.